If you want to answer questions about how nature works, science is the way to get there. Scientists believe in that, and they are very troubled by a suggestion that other kinds of approaches can be taken to derive truth about nature. Faith can be seen as an enemy. Professor Francis Collins, he literally decoded humanity's instruction book, the first to sequence the entire human genome. So, does he indeed believe that faith is the enemy of knowledge? Faith in its proper perspective is really asking a different set of questions, questions in the philosophical realm. And that's why I don't think there needs to be a conflict. So science has nothing to say about God? Once again, don't be so sure. Our universe, for me, as for Einstein, raised questions about the possibility of an intelligence behind all of this. Uh, why is it that the constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy, like gravitation, for instance, have precisely the value that they have to in order for there to be any complexity at all in the universe? That is fairly breathtaking, and it's lack of probability of ever having happened. And it does make you think that a mind might have been involved. Well, life, the universe, and an expert panel ahead, I'm James Carlton. It's God forbid. Welcome to episode 12 of our RN show and podcast this week on the God Forbid panel. A believer and an atheist who right in front of me are using yoga to form a Venn diagram out of their bodies illustrating the science-religion overlap. We have the supple Dr Alice Klein. As a chemistry researcher at the University of Sydney, she's won more awards than Home and Away has Logies. First Class Honours, the Australian Postgraduate Award, the Dean's List of Excellence and the Dr Joan Clark Scholarship for Inorganic Chemistry. Welcome to God Forbid. Hello, thank you. Why didn't you go for a scholarship in organic chemistry? It would have cost a little more, but it would have been better for you and the environment. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Everyone does organic chemistry, so I decided to do something a little bit different. Well, your scholarship funded a PhD during which you actually invented a new prostate cancer drug. Very exciting. But you've left research and entered the media, and I'm angry to say you've won as many awards here as there. You're the Australasia reporter for New Scientist magazine. Are you a believer or an apostate? I am an atheist through and through. We also have Dr Chris Mulheron on the God Forbid panel. Hello, Chris. G'day, James. Just finished as Anglican Rector at St Jude Church in Carlton, Melbourne. I don't mean just finished to run into the studio, but you were doing that last year. You now run the Institute for the Study of Christianity in an Age of Science and Technology. You're a doctor in theology, specialising in the philosophy of science at the University of Divinity. You lecture on climate change. You're a mechanical engineer. This means you can fix the weather, cure my existential angst, and do my rego inspection. I wish. <laughs> well, welcome to God forbid either way. Thanks. Now, tell me, we heard Professor Collins, the guy who sequenced the human genome, he was an atheist in his 20s, but as his science knowledge deepened, he became Christian, which is an unusual journey. Tell me yours. I guess I, I was brought up in a church, but not particularly convicted I guess I got to the stage when I was in my early university years that I started to think the serious options were some sort of theism, Christianity, because I was familiar with Christianity and certainly was more convinced by it than other views. The other option being some sort of naturalism. There is no God, there is no transcendent reality. So I guess I see those as the two realistic options about the universe and everything. 
Alice Klein, tell me about your four years' work in the lab. You had a prostate cancer growing in a dish. You'd invented a drug that was supposed to kill the cancer. You put it in the dish. What happened? When I put it in the dish, it was very successful and it killed all the cancer cells. It was very exciting after many years of actually making the drug in a lab and to see it work was very fulfilling. You'd changed the course of nature by killing an evil cancer life form. Did you feel like you had the power of God in your hands? Not really, no. I mean, there are lots of things that kill cells, (laughs) as we know. Um, But you've invented a new one. That's (laughs) that's true. (laughs) Not many people can say that. That's true. So then you moved your cancer drug into mice. What happened then? It just did not work. And the tumours grew so big that we just had to euthanise them. It was very disappointing because at that point, it was four years into my research. I'd had these great results in the cells in a dish. But unfortunately, translating results from a dish to an animal is always a big jump. Animals are much more complex system. So we think potentially the drug might have just broken down in its bloodstream before it even got to the cancer. So when in time they do work out how to make your drug work, it'll still be standing on your shoulders. Well, many other shoulders as well. Yeah, but your shoulders. (laughs) Definitely my shoulders. (laughs) But you left the science to go to cutting-edge science journalism. Why? I found while I was doing my PhD that I actually enjoyed writing about it more than doing the experiments. And I love talking to people about science. I love reading about science. Some of my colleagues were in an ivory tower and didn't want to talk to the public. And I thought there was a bridge between science and the public that needed someone to fill. Dr Chris Mulheron, are there ivory towers in religion? There are definitely people who don't engage in the public space, if that's what we're talking about. And what is the aim of the organisation you were the head of, the uh, Institute for the Study of Christianity in an Age of Science and Technology? Which we just call Christians in Science because that's a lot simpler than that now you're long, me to... long acronym, isn't it? ISCAST is uh, originally made up of members who are mostly scientists, some theologians, philosophers, but mostly senior practising scientists around Australia. But it's now on another journey into the public space a lot more. So we're engaging in both the church public space, if you like, and the secular public space with a fairly straightforward message that there is a harmony, not a fundamental conflict, between science and Christian faith. Chris, you teach climate change at the University of Melbourne. I want to know if you agree with the Irish politician, Tachtadola for Kerry, Danny Healy Ray. I believe that God above is in charge of the weather and that we here can't do anything about it. I don't agree with all this story about climate change at all. There has been patterns of climate change going back over the years before the, indeed there was ever a combustible engine. Because if we go back to the 11th and the 12th centuries, this country was roasted out of it. And in the 13th, the 15th and the 16th centuries, we were drowned out of it. (laughs) Danny Healy Ray, your response, Chris? Well, I can't say I really understand all that he's saying. (laughs) But, uh, no, I'm uh, with the experts on climate change. Human beings are changing the environment. There are two views, however, within Christianity as to how we should treat the environment broadly. Can you explain them? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say there are two views so much as two cuts on the same view that God made the creation to be used responsibly. 
then what responsible use of the creation means is what the arguments are about. What about that one where the Bible says man must subdue the earth and rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the air? There's no stewardship there. We're rulers. Well, what's the role of a ruler? A ruler is depends which a, one. Th- that's right, and and a, a strong would, one like Stalin. Well, no, I wouldn't suggest that that's the model for uh, Christian stewardship of creation. What about Pope Francis's encyclical? Yes, I've read parts of it. It's uh, called Laudato Si. The gist of it is: What does it mean to be responsibly in charge, in the sense that human beings are in charge of the creation and also the social world too? Because it goes beyond just looking at the natural environment, uh, and it's a call to responsibility. Um, Alice, there hasn't been overwhelming media coverage of that encyclical from the Pope, which is in a way odd because we do a lot of climate change stories in the media and yet religion is not looked at a whole lot in the media. So it was a kind of a overemphasize or underemphasize. To be honest, I hadn't even heard of this. So, And I spent a lot of time on the internet. So the fact that I haven't heard of it suggests the media coverage was pretty low. I'm not sure why that would be, but I suspect some journalists think aligning themselves with a religious text or advice may make them seem less scientific or factual. Which is interesting because if Pope Francis tells 1.3 billion Catholics to do something, it only takes a fraction of them to comply and it could have significant environmental benefits, which maybe could even be measured in a study. That's true, yes. So we're talking about Christian-motivated environmentalism. Well, I've got something on that, but first, uh, a warning. It has swearing, so turn off if you don't want to hear that. It's not theologically authoritative, so if that upsets you, turn off. And it's not even from a Christian, and if that upsets you, turn off for that reason as well. But for those who do want to hear Louis C.K., you'll get the gist of what it's about. If you believe that God gave you the earth that God created the earth for you, why would you not have to look after it? Why the fuck? Why would you not think that when he came back, he wouldn't go, what the fuck did you do? I gave this to you, motherfucker. Are you crazy? The polar bears are brown. What did you, what did you do to the polar bears? What did you, who did this? Who spilled this shit? Who spilled this? What is that? It's oil. It's just some oil. I didn't mean to spill. Well, why did you take it out of the fucking ground? Because I wanted to go faster. I'm not, it's not, I'm not fast enough. And I was cold. What the fuck do you mean cold? I gave you everything you needed, you piece of shit. Well, because jobs. I wanted, what is a job? What is, explain to me, what's a fucking job? You go like you work at a place and when people call when they, their game doesn't work and you help them figure it out. <laughs> what do you do that for? For money. What do you need money for? Food. Just eat the shit on the floor. <laughs> I left shit all over the floor. Corn and wheat and shit. Grab it and make some bread. What are you doing? Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't have like bacon around it. And like, <laughs> I like when it has like bacon on it. And <laughs> Stand-up legend, Louis C.K. RN, God forbid. We're with Dr. Alice Klein, the Australasia reporter with New Scientist, and Dr. Chris Mulheron, Executive Director of Christians in Science. 